You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We are ready to offer a highly ambitious trade deal, including zero tariffs and zero quotas. There is no need for a free trade agreement to involve accepting EU rules on competition policy, subsidies, social protection, the environment, or anything similar. I think there is a significant risk of what some people are calling no deal 2.0. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. So, Brussels is to sign off on the EU's opening ambitions for the post-Brexit trade talks today. France and Ireland already talking pretty tough. The mandate is to protect the interests of Europeans, according to France's Europe Minister, that's Amélie de Montchalin. Yeah, it's already getting a little bit interesting on the EU side. Of course, typically, when it's come to Brexit, they've been quite good at sticking together but there are already some people who are throwing their toys out the pram and we're getting a little bit of pushback. They want stricter rules. And we'll come all to all of this in the second part of the programme. Uh, we're going to speak to Hussein Kassim, who's a professor at the University of East Anglia, and dig into this as these negotiating mandates get signed off. We expect the UK one later on in the week. Uh, but first of all, we're going to speak to the Liberal Democrats. They have backed Tony Blair's suggestion that Labour could cooperate a little bit more with their party. This was something that was discussed in the run-up to the last election, and it's once again becoming a topic. So writing in The Independent, MP Leila Moran said, quote, cooperation can be achieved, and when done right, it can also mean winning, something that should be the main priority, she says, for anyone in opposition to the Conservatives. And then the Lib Dem Home Affairs spokeswoman, Christine Jardine, says Blair's call should be heeded by the next leaders of both parties. Well, I'm pleased to say Christine joins us now. Uh, she's the Liberal Democrat MP for Edinburgh West as well. Uh, Christine, elaborate a bit for us. What sort of a partnership with Labour are you calling for? I'm not calling for partnership. I don't think any of us have said that. I think what we've, we've recognised is that, um, if you like, British politics is um, back again in the sort of position we were in in 1992, where we'd had the Conservative governments in 79. They've, in the past four elections, they've been the biggest party. And I think realistically, we have to look at the fact that ourselves and the Labour Party have a lot in common. The uh, social justice is at the heart of what we both do. And if we want a government which is uh, very different from the Conservative government that we have at the moment, then we shouldn't and be undermining each other and shooting each other in the foot, but looking mm. at where we can ensure that um, at the next general election there is a coherent opposition to um, the Conservative So party. is it just about messaging then, or is there something more substantial to it? 
No, I mean, I, I think what you have are two parties, as, as I say, with social justice and social democracy at their heart. You want to see a very different type of um, social progression in this country from the Conservatives are putting forward. And I think it's incumbent on all progressive MPs to look at a way of um, making sure that, that we succeed the next time round, that the Conservatives don't add a fifth um, election where they've come out um, on top. Um, and that the way that we do that is looking at the seats. Where, I mean, there are 80 seats at the moment where we are second to the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats. We are, we are the party challenging them. Yeah. Now, come the next general election, it would be madness for other parties who want the Conservatives to be defeated, to undermine us in those seats. Similarly, there are seats where the Labour Party is challenging. You know, it, what we're looking at is not a coalition or an alliance or a partnership or anything like that. I would just think that what we we need to be thinking about is an understanding. But what you're talking about sounds awfully like electoral pacts, because if you're talking about coming second and wanting to win, somebody's got to stand aside there. Nobody has to stand aside. Um, uh, You you know, if you look back at, say, 97, uh, 92 and 97, people didn't stand aside, but there was an understanding that we will focus on that state and not on... On your seat, I mean, there will be seats in the country where um, if you say you're the Labour Party and you're targeting the winning that seat from the Conservatives, what you don't need is another party putting in an effort where they can't win, but what they can yeah. do is damage, damage the Labour Party. Um, and th- that's not about having alliances or pacts. That's about parties being sensible in where they target. But, Christine, are you being sensible now? Because the next election is years away. We've got years where, uh, you know, there is a need for an effective opposition. Are are the Liberal Democrats actually making their voice heard? We've got this stonking majority of uh, Tory MPs, you know, uh, bills being passed uh, as quick as you like, with with obviously the support of um, Boris Johnson's majority in Parliament. I mean, the opposition is nowhere to be seen. I think that's exactly why it's important that um, Tony Blair came out and said what he said. And you'll understand, I'm not a huge fan of Tony Blair's. I, I think, you know, you have to respect the man, but um, Iraq, just um, the Iraq war for me undermines it. But I'm great, grateful is not the word, but I'm pleased that Tony Blair has come out and what he said and recognised that because you don't win elections in the six months beforehand. Um, you have to be scrutinising the government. You have to be calling them to account. You have to be highlighting to the public what they're doing and what you would do differently. Okay, so who is the best placed individual to do that when it comes to the Labour leadership? Because the other reason that the opposition is absent is that uh, Labour is entirely wrapped up in picking their new leader. So who's going to be, out of the candidates, the best person to do it? Is Keir Starmer able to do that? It's not for me, to, as a Liberal Democrat, to see who the leader of the Labour Party would be. I would be um, a bit upset if they interfered in our election and said who it should be. It's for the Labour Party. But surely, Christine, if you couldn't work with Jeremy Corbyn, you can't work with Rebecca Long-Bailey. Look, it's not for me to say who should be leader of the Labour Party and who we could work with and and who we couldn't work with. Whoever becomes the leader of the Labour Party, it will be, I think, incumbent on them and whoever is our next leader to look at the reality of politics in this country at the moment. We've had three and a half years 
where it was clear that um, the system doesn't work as effectively as it could for the public. Not for the parliamentarians, but for the public. The people are not properly, um, in some cases, represented. I mean, it will mm. come as no surprise to your listeners to say that, for me, we need to be moving away from first-past-the-post and to PR. We have it in Scotland, and it works perfectly well. It could work in the rest of the UK. But, but that is nowhere near not. the agenda. I mean, you know, the agenda... No, it's not, but... At the moment, is surely is surely the conservative one. For example, the terror law that just was passed. So, emergency legislation to prevent yep. the automatic release from prison of, of terrorist offenders, uh, you know, who are halfway through their sentences. That is something that affects, uh, you know, voters yep. and and uh, citizens in the UK now. What, what do you make yep. of that legislation? You know, swiftly passing. And you've come up with one of the reasons why I. I'm so in favour of um, talking to the Labour Party and looking at how we each um, individually um, approach the next election. And whoever becomes leader, um, I would hope that whoever becomes the next leader of the Labour Party and whoever is our next leader, um, put the interests of the country before um, party advantage. And it's in the interests of the country for there to be an effective opposition and for um, the public to have a better choice than I think they, they have at the moment in terms of the, the government that we have that, you know, when we go into the next general election, whenever it is that we have had a parliament in which the government has been properly scrutinised challenged, they've been held to account and that the opposition has worked in the way that the opposition should do So and do you think then you've learnt your lessons from right. the last election because the Lib Dems went in all guns blazing saying we're going to get 100 200 seats, it was all very very optimistic and it didn't come to pass I think the last election um, I think all the parties um, well certainly ourselves in the Labour Party have lessons to learn from what happened and I think the biggest one is that um, we shouldn't undermine one another um, to the benefit of the Conservative Party. And I think that is the danger that we have to be aware of. Now, I know there'll be people um, listening who will say, but, you know, the, the Conservative Party, well, to, you know, the Conservative Party was the choice of the electorate. And mm. Yes, but the job of the opposition is to hold whichever party is in government to account, whoever they are, and to offer um, an alternative to the electorate at the next election based on everything that's happened in the past five years. And that's why, to go back to your original question, that's why I think it's important now, when we've just had the election, when we've got a parliament where we want to see um, progressive, I want to see progressive constructive politics, um, and I want to see progressive constructive policies social democracy, social justice. Uh, okay, but then in that case, are you putting, would you consider putting your hat in the ring because there is also an upcoming leadership uh, uh, race for the Liberal Democrats opening in May, ballots closing in July. So is that something that you would consider if you want to see that effective opposition? Is your name going to go forwards? What I've said is I think that the local elections have to come first. Mm. Um, the Labour Party chose to do the leadership election. Now, we have chosen, and I've felt very strongly about this, we've chosen to wait until after the local elections because that's the thing I think we should be focusing on um, is ensuring that um, the people get the best choice there for their local councillors. And, that you know, I'll be selfish about it as a Liberal Democrat. I want us to have an effective campaign. And I don't think um, the best way of ensuring that 
is to be obsessed but, with the leadership election at the moment and looking internally. We need to be looking at what those local authorities which are up for election, what the people in those... Yes, in the meantime though, Christine, I'm going to press you on this issue because the next yeah. few months are going to be vital in the post-Brexit no. trade negotiations. And so again, we're going to have months where the Labour opposition is sort of absent on the national stage and then several months where the Liberal Democrats also will be. Is that not a worry? People, no, no, we won't be absent on the national stage. We certainly won't be absent on the national stage. Ed has, um, Ed Davy has stepped in as acting leader just now. He's, he's been deputy leader. And we are, um, I'm, in fact, I'm building a private member's bill to parliament tomorrow um, about EU citizens. We are not um, absent from the national stage and we won't be absent from the national stage. And our leadership election will not be as complicated and as uh, drawn out and long-winded as the Labour Party one is. Mm. Um, it will be over before um, recess in the summer, um, or it will be over during recess in the summer. I'm trying to remember the exact timing. It'll mm-hmm. be, basically, it'll be May and June. But what we are not going to be doing is right. absenting ourselves from the national argument. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Let's have a look at some of the other stories making the news in the world of politics. If you're, if you're feeling a little bit cranky, you might appreciate this. Gains in UK creaky. life expectancy have stalled for the first time more than a century. Yeah, probably creaky rather than cranky. A major report by the UK's Institute of Health Equity partly blamed decades worth of austerity measures. Authored, uh, the author, Michael Wilmot, said that the findings were shocking. The study also found health inequalities are widening between the most and least deprived parts of the country. Shadow Health Secretary John Ashworth says it's unacceptable. If you're living in poverty, you get ill quicker and you die sooner. That is a social injustice. And this government really should be ashamed. Right, yeah, so really no laughing matter uh, from Sir Michael Marmot, his report. So, look, the information being seized on by critics of the Tory party saying, look, this is the consequence of a decade's worth of austerity. Do bear in mind, though, that the study also does say that the government's new approach to spending provides some grounds for optimism if health inequalities can actually be reduced because what this life expectancy uh, report really showed was the stark contrast between the Mm. North and south in terms of you know the the number of years that people have to live yeah although it'll be a little while until we find out just how much impact that's had Uh, we've got to talk about the coronavirus as well people who've been recently returned from northern italy to the uk are being told to self-isolate to stop the spread of the virus health secretary matt hancock says anyone who's visited the quarantine zones there should avoid contact with others even if they show no signs of illness If people go and then they come back and feel ill with flu-like symptoms, then we're asking them to self-isolate and stay at home for two weeks. And that is obviously quite uh, quite a significant imposition on people. We get that. But, of course, our top priority is to keep the public safe. 
So that's the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock. Now, uh, seven people have actually died as a result of the disease in Italy, uh, with currently 229 other people having been infected. This is a really stark uh, contrast to just a week ago when there Mm. were only about 40 cases in the whole of the uh, EU or in Europe. Uh, The UK Cabinet is uh, to discuss the latest advice on the coronavirus. That's a new line that we've just had out this morning uh, from the government. Uh, And uh, the government continuing to work closely with with international partners when it comes uh, to the virus. So, look, I know that's probably, you know, on a lot of people's minds. Yeah, some of the updates coming from this morning's Cabinet meeting. And then the flooding, we're going to talk about that. It's all doom and gloom today. Mm. The head of the Environment Agency warning against building new homes on floodplains, that perennial discussion. It comes as flooding continues in parts of the UK following heavy rain. James Bevan told BBC's Radio 4 that new housing should only be allowed if they are resilient to flooding. Examples of flood-proofed homes include using the ground floor just for garages so people can stay safe upstairs and river levels are today set to reach their highest ever in Shrewsbury, where a severe flood warning is in place. Yeah, I feel sorry for everyone on the, yeah. those floodplains. Uh, right. Let's also talk a little bit about the EU, though. It is the start of post-Brexit trade talks between the UK and the EU just a week away, but things are already really hotting up. France and Ireland have gone on the offensive, warning Boris Johnson that Brussels won't back down on some of its most fundamental demands. They include Britain's continued adherence to some EU rules, which Downing Street has already ruled out. It comes as European leaders have signed off now on the blocks negotiating mandate that happens uh, today. So the UK also has approved the negotiating mandate for Brexit talks. That's just happened this morning, uh, aiming to ensure economic and political independence on the 1st of January. Mm. Well, let's bring in our guest on this, Hussein Kasim, Professor of Politics at the University of East Anglia and Senior Fellow at a UK in a Changing Europe joins us now. Um, so Hussein, I guess the issue here is that the starting positions very far apart. And to an extent, that's normal. You're going to make big demands at the beginning of any discussion. But the question is, is either side going to actually budge on this? It's very hard to see um, the, um, the EU side budging a great deal. Um, you could argue there's already, already a, a concession been made because um, it didn't press for dynamic alignment. It looks like that what will, what will um, be adopted today, um, what's been adopted today, but we haven't seen the document yet, will be a text that says something about um, EU standards as reference. So that's already that's already a bit of a bit of slippage. On the UK side, one doesn't really know what to what to expect. There's been um, a sort of David Frost speech, um, the, the 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 man who's negotiating on behalf of the UK um, a couple of weeks ago that was very very hard hitting and that um, was um, quite um, you know, ideological in nature in, in a way that it sort of stressed um, you know, sovereignty as sort of key aim. And, and and it's very difficult to see how how that can be sort of married with what the um, what the EU are asking for. Yeah, and, and perhaps there's a little bit of um, of sort of ammunition, I guess, on the UK side uh, from the lines that we had from the Bank of England's chief economist, Andy Haldane, uh, saying that actually most of the Brexit uncertainty that has been overshadowing the UK economy has now lifted. I sort of take note of that phrase. Uh, do you think that we're going to get some kind of bare bones deal is that even manageable or or are the two sides just uh, too intransigent a bare bones deal is um is possible but a lot depends on what you you know what exactly it covers mm. um i mean many people imagine that, that that goods will be will be covered by any agreement but if you look beyond that to um sectors like aviation for example um you know what would a you know, would it really be, be, be a sort of feasible or possible or desirable for each side not to reach an agreement on, on that sector, which is a really highly technical sector? I mean, you think about sort of safety, you think about sort of access and traffic routes. 
is it really um, is it really not in the interest of both both sides to find some agreement there? That's certainly not bare bones. That's a very very complex detailed sector, and that could be replicated for a number of, 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 of equally sort of technical sectors also. And at the same time, the UK is standing by its position that it's not going to extend come July. Do you think they're still going to be able to do that and get something out of this by the end of the year? Well, um, the Prime Minister has, has, has already said also that um, that he'd be happy for a um, you know, to agree most things and then um, you know, then, then allow sort of you know, particular sort of you know, more minor issues to be um, you know, to extend into the into the um, into the new year. And it might be the interest on, on, it might be the interest of both sides to see that, but it's hard. You know, I mean, he will want the bulk of um, the agreement to be made by um, December. And you know, as we know, the um, the the the, the, um, the deadline for proposing an extension falls in July. So, um, but he, you know, he's pinned his, his political um, colours to the mast on this and said no extension. So, I think we really have to believe that that is the case. There will be no formal application for an extension. Mm. What about uh, the lines that we've had out um, today from Ireland? Uh, Coveney talking about the UK must keep all Irish border promises and that failure on the Irish border would make an FTA, a a trade agreement with the EU, difficult. I mean, I know that these are lines that we have heard before from Ireland, but how much sway is Ireland uh, going to have now? Obviously, they did in the kind of run up to the UK leaving the EU uh, hold quite a lot of weight. Is that going to remain so as we begin these months of trade negotiations? I, I believe so. It's really important to, to understand that the EU27 are absolutely united um, behind um, behind Ireland, but also on the principle of, of the single market and, where they, um, and, and, and you know, preserving the integrity of the single market uh, and all that entails. Um, I, I think that um, what has been, what's been worrying the EU27 and, um, and certainly has come across in, in, in meetings I've had is that, um, is that the, the, that, um, the political declaration, the Irish protocol seemed, sorry, the, the Irish protocol seemed to be being sort of disavowed. I mean, there are sort of explicit undertakings, claims, commitments that the UK signed up to. This is an international agreement, after all. And what's what's worried the EU27, and particularly Ireland, is that um, the British government seems to be stepping away from um, the commitments undertaken there, so you know, to checks um, on the um, on the Irish border, and you know, that is a real concern. Um, it's likely to, make, to to you know, to the extent that this is something that the um, that the UK sort of insists on on arguing. This is going to make the um, EU um, sort of double down and and and, and, and look for um, sort of new guarantees and, and sort of possible sanctions, maybe. And then, of course, as as we mentioned earlier, it's not just Ireland; it's France as well coming out with a bit of bravado. Is it just that? Because we've seen this several times before, and they typically back down and fall in line with the rest of the E27. I think it, it's certainly true to say that the um, that the that France has um, has um, adopted a um, yeah, well has been you know if you like the you know the bad cop has adopted the um, the sort of stronger tone on on this, but. You know, um, these are countries that are likely to be very, very strongly, extensively affected by Brexit. So, you know, they have interests that they want to want to protect. It's um, it's unsurprising that um, that you know they should take hard line, really. Mm. Uh, what about the free movement of, of people? Obviously, the 
you know, one of the key reasons, really, um, why the UK uh, voted in favour in terms of the referendum and leaving the EU. And now we've had uh, the kind of initial proposal about a points-based migration system. I note that the UK travel industry, the trade association, ABTA, calling on the government to reconsider the immigration plans post-Brexit. Um, I think businesses waking up to this idea that there is going to be a significant change in terms of migration. Um, is this is there any flexibility on this points-based system, do you believe? Well, I mean, obviously that's a matter for the, for the, for the, um, for the British government. I, I mean, I wonder... Um, how you know how um, you know the extent to which it's sort of consulted broadly with business because business has certainly you know, I mean, you're, you're correct to say um, become increasingly concerned about the implications um, of this but um, but yes I mean if you if you interpret the um, the, the vote for Brexit the referendum vote as one for freedom of movement this is one where you know your government um, you know felt that it had to um, take you know, take a hard line. And very quickly, the government briefing that uh, the mandate for the US trade talks is going to be published next week. Can we still expect something good there, given everything that Boris Johnson has done around Huawei, etc.? It's really, it's really hard to predict how these two talks will, will interact in practice. And it's also really important to remember how, um, on the US side, um, trade negotiations actually take place. I mean, you know, the, you know, the president can say um, sort of warm and very sympathetic things about his desire to um, for the, for the um, US to sign a, a, a good agreement, the best agreement in the world with the, with the UK. But it's Congress ultimately that decides. And the interesting thing about Congress is, you know, for example, how many, how many members of Congress have supported Ireland really, really strongly. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.